0: Welcome to The Glenn Mercer Show, where we talk all things vegan. If you're not already vegan, no worries, we'll get you there. If you are, tune in for health advice, information on climate change, and all the damage done by our most destructive industry, animal agriculture. We'll also talk cooking, theater, film, and culture. My two reasons for starting this podcast, to entertain, to inform, and to make people vegan. Oh, that's three. Shit. Hello and welcome to the Glenn Mercer Show. You can find us on YouTube. Please remember to subscribe and across all your favorite podcast platforms. My special guest today is also a podcast host. She's actually the co-host of the Growing a Healthy Child podcast, co-host with Carrie Bruno. You can find that on YouTube. She is the president and CEO of the plant-based nutrition movement. She has been a registered nurse for some 30 years, and she is an expert on child nutrition and a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Welcome, Meryl Fury. Well, thank you, Glenn. I'm so glad to be here. Well, so glad to have you here. Uh, Tell us about your journey. Where did you start when you were growing up? Did you ever think you'd be in the nutrition business?
1: You know, that's so funny. Um, So we have to do a little retrospective, right? So started when I was 15. I started I I cut out mammals out of my diet.
0: Okay. And that was
1: a result of the price of beef going up very high. And (laughs) my mother, who was the, you know, the parent responsible for the grocery budget and putting the food on the table, you know, moms do the grocery shopping and the cooking for the most part. uh, She was complaining that she couldn't afford to put three square meals on the table right? Because the beef was high and along with beef went like pork and chicken and all the other animal proteins went up kind of all at once at that time. So she was pretty unhappy and she did a whole lot of complaining about it. I was super close to my mom and I couldn't I, it just was killing me that she was so upset about this. I mean, she talked about it a lot, you know, at least the way I remember it, it was was several times a day, at least every time was time to put a meal on the table. And finally, after, I don't know, a couple months of that, I think I got together, maybe sooner, I got together with a friend of mine who had four kids in her family. We only had two in my family. And her mom was complaining the same stuff. You know, how am I going to feed you kids and, you know, cost of beef and just on and on. And this friend of mine who I'm still friends with today, her name was Lori, decided we would stop eating beef. We would just give up the four-legged mammals because, you know, it obviously was distressing for our moms and, then, if we gave them up, that would be something like twenty-one meals a week that they could give our portion of animal products to whoever else. The, you know, they could eat it themselves, give it to dad, give it to sister or brother, whoever you want to give it to. We just would bow out. So we thought this was a brilliant solution and would decrease our mother's anxiety about it all. My mom came to pick me up from Lori's house that weekend, and I got in the car and I said guess what? I'm going to stop eating meat because you don't, I don't want you to have to worry about it. And literally Glenn, she nearly drove off the road. I mean, seriously, she was like, what? Oh my gosh. (laughs) You can't stop eating meat. Um, How are you going to grow up to be big and strong? Oh my gosh. It's going to, no, no, you're going to be a weakling. You don't worry about the food budget. I worry about the food budget. That's my job, not your job. You just eat what I put on the table. And I said, okay, but I promised Lori, I wasn't going to eat mammals and we're not eating meat anymore and i think she just ignored me and blew it off or whatever anyway we got home that night and she made spaghetti and meatballs which was one of her well known well created recipes you may hear my dog barking in the background i don't know if you
0: do or not but um well your dog might want the meatballs he might
1: uh actually he's a pretty good with vegetables actually oh good um anyway so that night she put spaghetti and meatballs on my plate i was our you know the way we handled it for dinner was i would go to the stove she would put the food on the plate and i would sit down and eat right very obedient child well this night i bring her my plate she puts the spaghetti and meatballs on the plate with the sauce and all that and i said mom i'm not eating meat and she said sit down and eat right Mm -hmm. you know how moms used to do back in the day you just yeah right? So I sat down, I rolled the meatballs off to the side. I ate the sauce with the spaghetti. The next night, you know, she tried some other meal. I told her I wasn't eating meat. It's, you know, it went that on that way until the Friday came around again and she made spaghetti and meat sauce Friday. Now that was very unusual. She would never have made two very similar meals in the same week. And she never made meat sauce. So she made meat sauce. I go, get give her my plate. She puts the pasta, puts the sauce with the meat. It, it crumbled all in the sauce. And I said, uh-huh. Mom, I'm not eating meat. And she's, sit down and eat. I go to sit down at the table. And I'm not proud of this as I look back on it. But I twirled the spaghetti up on my fork with the meat sauce, put it in my mouth, and literally spit out every bit of meat that was on the fork. So uh-huh. there I am sitting at the dinner table spitting into my plate. Not pretty. Really not nice. <laughs> but I think at that point, my mother realized, okay, I, I'm not going to fight. <laughs> I'm done. Right. right? So I won that round.
0: And it just now, What's What's interesting about this is you had a strong objection to eating the meat that originated with the budget. Yes. Which was on your mother's behalf. And your yeah. mother said don't worry about the budget but it's it feels to me listening to this as if your objection was to killing animals or to to something else about the meat it it wasn't it was purely that my mom was so upset i
1: couldn't i just couldn't live with that she was very important to me her her stability and her her mindset Now was i really- hate to
0: take your mother's side <laughs> Yeah. Okay, go ahead. But she was telling you don't worry about the budget, and you were insisting on worrying about the budget. So, yeah. Yeah, I was. So and it was head- one of those, don't do this for me. No, I'm gonna do this for you
1: fights. It was kind of one of those. Kind of. Right. But by the time by that point, you know, I was I was fifteen-ish. Yeah. So I was hard-headed. All right. I've been a, I've been a rebel my whole life. And so by the time it came to that. It was like, no, Mom, I already made this promise. Lori and I are not eating this. So Okay. So, so
0: we have to add this now to the list of reasons to go vegan because some people go vegan for the animals. Yeah. Some people go vegan for health. Yeah. Some people go vegan for the environment and the climate. And we have to add Merrill went vegan for her mother's budget. That's right. So that's... We could boil it down to financial concerns. Okay. <laughs> Going vegan for the budget. Okay. So what happens next? Well, from there, I just continued
1: to learn about human health and food as medicine. Back then, I studied herbology and the effects of different kind of food on the body, my, mostly my own body. There were not a lot of textbooks. There were none of these authors who are out now. You know, I, I never heard of T. Colin Campbell or, or Caldwell Esselstyn. Those guys were not in, I, I don't even know if they were, I don't know what they were doing then, but they weren't, <laughs> they weren't writing books that I got a hold of. Um, there were no recipe books that didn't include, you know, cream and cheese and meat and fish and all that. That didn't exist. So I was very much on my own. I had, um, just a small handful of books that I could reference. One was um, Dick Gregory's book, which has a longer title: uh, uh, "Cooking Cooking with Mother Nature," I think it's called, or uh-huh. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. Yeah. And then, he, uh, what, by
0: the way, he was the reason I went vegetarian. He was one of the reasons. He was yes, always he an inspiration was very to powerful,
1: me. right? Yeah. yeah. And he went into fasting and things like that, for, and yeah. uh, very much a civil rights activist. So. Apology. And
0: and and let me just throw this in. I heard Dick Gregory speak when he was fasting against the war in mm-hmm. Vietnam.
1: Yeah.
0: And he, he was, this was unbelievable because I didn't know you can fast for like a year, a year and a half with nothing but fruit juices and water. And he was still running six miles a day. Yeah. And I saw him, he was like 98 pounds or something. Mm-hmm. This is a man who used to be 260 pounds. Yeah. And he was asked, I heard him ask, Mr. Gregory, would you fast again if America got involved in another Vietnam? And he said, I wouldn't fast again if they were fighting in my living room. (laughs) (laughs) So the the self-deprecation and humility of that great man, he was just fantastic. Yeah, right, right strong, strong civil
1: rights advocate, and uh, yeah. just a great human being. But that was one of the first books. And then I had um, diet for a small planet by Francis Moore pay, right? I had the Moosewood cookbook, right? Was right more dairy heavy on the dairy stuff. But so those are the books I had. And that's yeah. what I went from and the rest of it was just experimentation on myself. Um when I started studying herbology, there were a couple books that I had that I would reference for herbal medicines, but the rest of it was just, you know, sort of figured out on my own. Okay.
0: Now you, you, you start doing this because of the family budget. Yes. At what point do you begin to see, Oh, this is actually healthy. And Oh, this is good for other reasons. You know, probably
1: by the time I was 17, really. I was so it took hoping, about two years to. Yeah, because yeah, you know, being fifteen, you're. I was pretty much doing it just because I said I would, and I was being uh-huh. I wasn't. I wasn't sick at all, or I didn't have uh-huh. any issues, right? And um, back at that time, animal compassion and animal rights wasn't really a well publicized thing. You know, it mm-hmm. just didn't come up. Not in my neighborhood, anyway. So I really didn't have any diseases or discomforts to overcome. But I do know that by the time I was 18, for sure, I went for a brief time, like maybe about a week. I tried eating meat again, and it made me really ill. Like, Uh so at that point, I was like, okay, that does not that does not work for me at all. Period.
0: Uh
1: huh. Then it was, and that was going back to eating mammals. And then it was um, eliminating dairy products. I realized I had a dairy allergy, so that helped. Got rid of that. Um, then it was eliminating fish because I moved to near the Great Lakes region, which is where I live uh-huh. now, and I could not possibly eat the fish out of the Great Lakes. <laughs> that's um that's some scary stuff. And then because of the pollution in the Great Lakes. Yeah, you know, so part of my upbringing, I spent a large amount of time in the U S. Virgin Islands in the Caribbean. And the water is, that's very different water. The Caribbean is, at least back at that time, very much cleaner, right? Yeah. And fresh fish pulled right out of the ocean is a different thing, right? Tropical fish is a very different thing than lake fish. And when I moved here to the upper Midwest, I just couldn't. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) I give up. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then, you know, interesting thing. So I'm a registered nurse, right? One time only once and i'd love to find this pamphlet again i saw a pamphlet from the department of natural resources i I used to manage uh, a um, prenatal clinic and i saw this pamphlet one time that said pregnant women should not eat more than one fish per year out of an inland lake And that was a long time ago maybe 20 years ago okay and I thought, well, you know, I love pregnant women and pregnant women are pretty special, but they're not that special. Right. So mm-hmm. if a pregnant woman shouldn't eat fish from a lake more than one time a year, then no one else should either. Right. Period. Right. Right. And now we know that the lakes are heavily polluted with um, PCBs and mercury and all, all those other right. fun forever chemicals. So that's, that was that. And then You know, the last to go was uh, poultry out of my diet.
0: Oh, poultry was the last to go. How old were you when when you became vegan and got rid of the poultry?
1: I'm going to say that was about seven or eight years ago.
0: Oh, only seven or eight years ago. Yeah. So it took you a long time to get rid of the poultry. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just,
1: yes, it did. Yeah. It was a lot of testing, you know. And all the time, because I started out with no no books to read about it, it was just testing on myself all the time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I kind of assumed that there wasn't a lot to read. I never went looking much for um, textbooks or, or science-backed information. I just never looked. Mm-hmm. I just always focused on, okay, this is how I feel when I eat this. This is how I feel when I am that.
0: So. so at that point you had been a nurse for some time. Yeah. And did your experience as a nurse in any way inform your nutritional perspectives? A lot. A lot. Tell us about that. So
1: like I said because I this is all self-experimentation with this diet and how I feel, right? Um and my nursing specialty is or has been public health so i worked with in low-income environments mostly uh, with people who had very very limited resources and the our medical care model is you manage disease you know we're not actively trying to reverse illness in the american medical system so we would have patients come in and you get to know them you know you ask them all kinds of questions you do the background history and all of that stuff get to know their families in a lot of cases i did a lot of home visits in and out of um, some of the rougher areas of town and so you get to know people and they would come to the clinic and get told let's say they let's say let's say they received a, a diagnosis of diabetes very common right And then they're given medications and they're sent to a dietitian and the dietitian would tell them, okay, cut back on your sugar. You can drink diet soda, um, cut it back to two slices of bread a day or two tortillas per meal or whatever they were told. Right. Lean meats, low fat skim milk, you know, the whole that they get the usual line. And then come back in three months. And in three months, they'd either be the same or they'd be worse and they'd get more medications and then come back in another three months and they'd get the same. And, and over years, we would watch people just deteriorate. Their health just deteriorates.
0: Right.
1: They might be gaining weight still. They might, you know, they're losing their eyesight. Their kidneys are going. They're, you know, numbness and tingling in their feet and all these things, just terrible to watch. Terrible, terrible. And thankfully... Given the way that I eat, I, I've always eaten, well, certainly since I was 15, way more vegetables than anything else. Cause that's the way my diet was structured. And I never had any illnesses. I never had, I didn't get the flu forever, you know, like mm-hmm. I didn't get the flu until I hit COVID a couple of years ago, you know, but I still, I mean, it's, I just don't get sick like that. And I remember thinking, you know, if, People could stop eating all this chemical laden garbage food, the heavy meats, the cheeses. I knew I was allergic to cheese. If you just keep the, and the way it occurred to me, because like I said, I didn't study. There weren't any books that I had to study, right? So I just sort of looked at it like if I can keep the level of mucus down in in my head, then I don't get sick. There's nothing for the bacteria or the viruses to like cling to. The way mm-hmm. hurt me. so keep the mucus down keep the stuff you're allergic to down keep the chemicals and garbage out of your body and your body will handle itself but that was not the case for so many of our patients 99.95 percent of them were eating a standard american diet and getting sicker and sicker every three months when they came in they were sicker so it was very difficult to watch the other aspect of it is that medical professionals are raised in the same environment as their patients right We're all living in the same country. We all get the same um, marketing and on some level, the same kind of consumer education. So to work and actually, like I said, I manage clinics to be in a clinic and watch all of my peers struggle with weight and high blood pressure and stress problems, anxiety, um, some diabetes, just all of it. And none of them Connected it to diet, you know, it was always, you know, um, in the medical setting, there's always some drug rep or somebody willing to bring in cakes and donuts and pastries and oh <laughs> God, so much stuff, so much stuff all the time. There was even one time where, um, we got a new nurse practitioner who started working in the clinic and her passion was baking. She baked like I don't know, like other people breathe. I've never seen anybody bake Uh, like that. (laughs) She baked and baked and baked. And every time she came to the clinic, which was like three times a week, she would bring her newest thing. Uh, It was a pineapple upside down thingy, or it was a custard banana thingy or what? Oh my gosh, so much stuff. So much stuff. And I remember I had worked very hard to change the environment in our clinic, the food environment. So that when we had potlucks, it was all healthy stuff. You know, when we had um the drug rep lunches, I would tell them, okay, have the drug rep at least bring a large salad and okay, rest the rest of the garbage that comes with the lunch, but at least make sure there's a salad. So I had tried very hard to do that. And this one nurse practitioner came in and she just like insisted on bringing these heavily heavy desserts. She and I literally went toe to toe about why are you doing this? Why everyone in here is struggling with weight or high blood pressure or heart disease or something. Why are you doing this? And she just would not stop, would not stop. So undermining. Um, so finally, she and I really had a, a quite the argument <laughs> about you have to stop. This is so unkind. It's so unfair. You're preying on people's weaknesses like this. Bring in fruit, bring in something else. No, she wouldn't do it. So it's just very difficult. It's a challenge in the nursing and medical profession. People are very attached to salt, sugar, fat, animal products, and making them in gloriously beautiful, creative ways. It's just very difficult.
0: And, and the hospitals serve food that isn't uh, any better than that nurse's desserts, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Correct. Correct. You, i now. I mean, you want to hear a funny story? Sure. So, given that I've been this way, I I consider myself whole food plant based all my life, right? Because the meat has always been way less than ten percent of what I ate until I just completely cut out all the animal products some years back, right? I am married to a diehard Wisconsin meat and cheese head.
0: Uh huh. And um, we're going to talk about why you got angry with him <laughs> in a little bit. Well, we're going to have to talk about I, that.
1: Well, he wound up going in the hospital. I'll leave. I'll leave that as the, our lead-in for the for that okay. story. But he wound up in the hospital, and to look at the meals available to him while he's in a hospital bed, uh huh, literally. Cheese, uh, lasagna, cheese, ham and cheese omelets, um, prime rib, this and that. I just crazy,
0: crazy. You you know, I had hernia surgery Uh, the, the, the whole food, vegan, low fat diet is the best diet there is, but it does not prevent you from sneezing your way into a hernia. I, (laughs) Last year, I sneezed, and I went, ow, and it was a hernia. Mm -hmm. So I, I drove to Florida for hernia surgery, and I woke up in the recovery room, and there was no pain. And I said, how come I'm not in any pain? And they said, well, it's the anesthesia, of course. You'll wait till tomorrow. (laughs) It'll wear off. (laughs) Uh, And then they said, would you like a ham and cheese sandwich? And I said, do you have any idea who you're talking to? And they thought, I guess they thought I was a rabbi. Uh, (laughs) So uh, they gave me applesauce. But, uh, there was the next day, there was still no pain Hmm. and there was never any pain. I had open surgery Hmm. and I never had to take an aspirin. And I attribute that to the whole foods, low fat plant-based diet because there isn't inflammation in my body. (laughs) Uh, But they were going to give me a ham and cheese sandwich. So... All right, let's let's tell the story of why you got angry at your husband. So here's the story. I'm going to
1: go back to I'm a nurse, and this is not a pretty. This is not pretty. Okay, nurses are not supposed to get mad at their patients, right? However, we are human, and we have our our thoughts about things, right? So anyway, here I am. I have this husband who is a meat and cheese head. Love him to pieces. In fact, today is our 21st, I think, 22nd oh, anniversary.
0: Oh, happy anniversary. Oh, thank you very and much. And I think, you know, the traditional 22nd anniversary gift yes. is to go on a podcast and complain about your husband. So, <laughs> Well, you know what? I'm not going to complain
1: because I'm really super proud of him. He's I stuff. know,
0: and you love him, exactly. but why, why did he what make happened? you a little angry? Right. What
1: happened? So 25 ish years we've been together. Okay. And all this time I have been the same way. Eat your vegetables, eat your fruit, right? Encouraging him to be as health, health, follow as health promoting a lifestyle as you can. Cause there's right. no guarantees anyway, no matter what you do. The best mm-hmm. you can do is stack the deck in your favor. That's all you get. Right. The rest of it's crapshoot. Okay. So. He being born and raised here in Wisconsin, he likes brats. He likes burgers, cheese, pepperoni, and other stuff. Okay. <laughs> right? Not a lot of vegetables. If I put more than four green beans on his plate, that's an anger. That's an upset. Don't put any lettuce on anything. No, no, uh, no nothing of the cabbage family is allowed. There's just you know, there's all kinds of constraints around vegetables and fruit. No, not so much. Um, maybe we can have, he
0: has always been this
1: way. This is a, a since before I knew him, since before I knew him. Yeah. In fact, when I first met him, he only ate that list of things like brats and pizza and burgers and hot dogs.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. He drank Dr. Pepper and, um, coffee only. Mm -hmm. And then of course, desserts are a free for all. You can have all the desserts you want with that diet. Anyway, so over the years, I tried very hard to encourage him to eat more vegetables and more fruit and drink water and back down the sodas. And he did some changes. He really did. He he improved his diet by a bit. Back in 2020, when COVID hit, um, I encouraged him to go to the hospital for a voluntary procedure or um, imaging called a coronary artery calcium scan. Mm Mm-hmm. That indicated that he had a moderate to severe risk of heart disease, which meant that he needed to go see a cardiologist. Thankfully, we have a plant-based cardiologist here in our town, and he had some previous experience with that cardiologist as a friend. So that's who he chose to go to, which was a blessing. The doctor told him, okay, you have moderate to severe risk of cardiac disease that I can't tell you if that means you're going to walk out of here and collapse with a heart attack, but you have a risk for sure. So I want you to go whole food, plant-based, 100%. You don't need any medications. We're not going to do a cardiac cath. We're not going to do any of that other stuff. No fancy procedures. Just change your diet. That's all you got to do and do what your wife says.
0: right? Mm -hmm.
1: So I kept telling him, all right, perfect. Whole food, plant-based means Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds, beans, and mushrooms. That's what we're going to do. Well, no, he didn't want to do that. He preferred the more junk food vegan, right? So lots of cashew milk ice cream, which is super yummy, but, you know, really kind of high fat and not super healthy. Um, Vegan ginger snap cookies, Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
1: fried this and that, you know, lots Mm -hmm. of just... OK, he was. Down so that- he
0: was he was willing to go vegan, but not healthy vegan. Correct. Hmm. Doing lots of junk food <sighs> tips. You know, potato
1: chips are vegan. Mm. <laughs> Fritos. Mm. right? Mm-hmm.
0: Even yeah. I'm getting a little angry now.
1: I know. So mm. there we go. You go for that for another two years. And he's mm-hmm. eating like that. And I'm telling him this is not going to end well. But at this point, you know, I don't want to be a nag anymore. It's like, I'm done. There's 20 something years of me telling him. It's like, Ugh, mm-hmm. okay. So a couple months ago, we go to bed, right? I'm sleeping. And you know, when you live with somebody a long time, you can tell when their sleeping pattern is off, you know, they're like right. moving around in the bed and they're making noises. Finally, he sits up on the edge of the bed and I say to him, his last name is Nelson. I say, Nellie, what's going on with you? <laughs> He says, uh, how do you know if you're having a heart attack? Mm-hmm. I said, uh, like that. That's exactly how you know when you're having a heart attack. Anyway, we wind up, quick ambulance ride to the local hospital. He gets a cardiac catheter done. He gets a stent placed. They avoid the heart attack He had, or the massive heart attack.
0: Mm-hmm. He
1: was having one. He had one artery that was like, 100% blocked and the other one was 90% blocked. Really not pretty. The good news is that um, he did okay. You know, he didn't have any sustained or or um, long-term permanent damage to any Great. of his heart muscle. But boy, was I mad. Just, mm-hmm. mm, I tried mm. for 25 years to prevent this from happening. Right? Yeah. And um, to no avail, apparently, or maybe to yeah. minimal yeah. success. At least he didn't like have one massive heart attack and die, right? Right.
0: Had
1: a heart attack and live to tell the tale. But um, yeah, that's it's it's uh it's not it's it's angering and humbling <laughs> to be a healthcare professional and advise somebody that you love and care about yeah. how, to, how to handle it and have them not. Yeah. do what you say have the exact opposite happen and then all those sequelae roll out right after that on
0: top has, of that has he know, be, is he compliant now
1: with the diet he is as far as i know super compliant so the good news is like i said he didn't suffer any permanent damage and within 8 weeks of the catheterization and the stent being placed he was off Three of the medications that they started him on after that. his cholesterol and all his lipids, the triglycerides and the HDL and the LDL and all of that dropped by sixty-six percent within eight
0: weeks. Wow! Yeah, yeah. So welcome. now that he's now that he's doing what he resisted doing for twenty odd years, what does he say? Does he say? You know what? This isn't so hard. What does he say?
1: Um, He's, you know, he's he's grateful. He tells uh-huh. all his friends that they ought to do it. You know, they ought to, ought to uh-huh. watch what you eat. Yeah, those eggs, they're going to kill you. Whatever he says, you know. Uh-huh. Um, he He's funny, though. You know, he still has this little, you know, I would love to have a pepperoni pizza. And I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> You do what you want, but I don't think you want to have another heart attack. I, I right. as I recall, that wasn't a lot of fun the first time. Right. So let's not, you know. So we find ways to uh, make his favorite foods without all that extra added animal products and all that stuff. He's good right. with it, you know. He realizes it's saving his life. His other thing is that he's a um, hobby pilot. He likes to a fly.
0: Hobby pilot.
1: Yeah, he likes to fly small aircraft, vintage okay. aircraft. And once you have a heart attack or a stent placed, you lose your medical clearance for your pilot's license. Yeah. So um, that has been a great motivator for him to adhere to the diet and get his license cleared. So he. Can how, how do
0: you get it cleared once you've had that event?
1: Yeah. So you have to go through, um, you know, you have to go to a doctor, have them check off a bunch of uh, tests. You have uh-huh. to have your lipids done and you have you know, a stress test done. And you send all this hefty package of information to the FAA. And those doctors there at the FAA review your current status and what your doctor's notes say. And they decide whether or not you're clear to fly.
0: Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: It's a, it's a thing. It's a terrible thing for a pilot to get their wings
0: clipped like that. Yeah. He had a, he has to get cardiac clearance to fly. I had to get cardiac clearance for my hernia operation. Everybody needs cardiac clearance. Yeah. Now, Merrill, one of the great things you do is you work with children Mm -hmm. so that they can be healthy from a young age and not grow up to have heart attacks. So tell us about the 6 Million Seeds Program.
1: Wow, yeah. Thanks for asking me about that, Glenn. This is something, it literally, wakes me up in the morning and puts me to bed at night. So I'm the president and CEO of a nonprofit, 501c3, that's called Plant-Based Nutrition Movement. And in that nonprofit, we created a project called the 6 Million Seeds Child Nutrition Project. It is all about teaching children and their parents or caregivers, their adult people, the importance of feeding children healthy food. Because in this country, we basically feed children very poorly. There's, um, I think it was a study that came out in the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, that said 67% of the calories that our children receive between the ages of two and 19 come from ultra processed foods, which means it's a lot of chemicals and dyes and sugars and fats and preservatives and additives and just who knows what all that they're ingesting. And the calories are really truly empty, if not dangerously empty calories, right? And we have children who are already by the time they're five to 15, easily dealing with morbid obesity. They're dealing with diabetes we have high blood pressure we have heart disease already starting cancers asthma skin disorders autoimmune conditions all these in little children and these are diseases that used to primarily be found in the adult population but now they're found in children one of the ways that we could mitigate that or prevent that certainly reduce the incidence of would be if we fed children more fruits more vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, seeds, and mushrooms. If we could just do that, we would do amazing work to protect our children's health. In the last four years, five years, the CDC has decreased our children's life expectancy four times, which me, I I have kids. That to me is something I... I um. I can't tolerate, I can't tolerate it. I, I, I hate it. How do you, how do you mean? What do you mean that my children won't live as, to be as old as my parents? That's ridiculous in the country that is at least among the 10 wealthiest countries in the world, right? So the project is all about teaching children and the adults how to eat healthy food. What is healthy food? Giving them the experience of all these whole foods that, um, you know, and in, in showing them how to cook it, what it tastes like, how do you play with it, how to not take it so seriously, you know, not to make it a, a struggle. We also have a podcast that you mentioned earlier called Growing a Healthy Child. And that is a podcast very similar to this, where we talk to other people who know about different aspects of how to feed children, why you feed children healthy food, what impact does it have on the planet, what impact does it have on the other species of the planet. Um, all of that you know organic gardeners researchers medical um, professionals educators artists anybody who can speak to parents about how children eat because if we don't do something len i don't know what's going to happen to our kids i don't know where we're going to be in another 50 years right now with the trends in childhood illness obesity up right adhd up autism up all of it all of it is only increasing i'll give you a one of the other things that motivates me um, this past january the american academy of pediatrics put out their first ever guidance for pediatricians and family practice docs to counsel parents of children who have obesity now up till now they've been willing to just sit and watch the children gain weight and kind of you know they call it watchful waiting. You know, you just watchful watch, waiting. Watchful waiting. That's
0: nice. Yeah,
1: it's what we do. We watchful wait as they continue to gain weight, and maybe we say something about drink skim milk or decrease <laughs> screen time or get them to go outside a little bit more. And that's really the only coaching that they get, right? Oh, okay. Well, now the new guidance is you see a little two-year-old or four or five-year-old and they're you know portly people chunky little kids right um counsel them this is for the medical professional counsel them about um decreasing weight but don't talk about diets because you know that's a bad word and you know you don't want to necessarily recommend any particular way of eating because mm, you might hurt somebody's feelings but you know you do so you say something talk to them maybe 26 times in a year is a suggestion.
0: 26 times to say 26, something. Oh, they, every other week. Every other week. Oh, there's some good science behind that. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it was a study in the New England Journal of Medicines that said that if every two weeks you say something meaningless, that that's very helpful.
1: You know, but you can make money doing it. You can yeah. charge for every one of those office visits. So yeah. <laughs> there's that. And then if by the time the child gets to be 12 years old, Mm-hmm. If they've reached that obesity thing, that ninety-fifth percentile of height for yeah. weight, you can offer them
0: weight loss medications. Weight loss better. medications to a twelve-year-old. And then, if so, still the like possibility better, of actually feeding children human food has never come up. Wait, 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 because it gets better. Oh, it gets
1: because, better. Yes, it does. Because if they're still at the ninety-fifth percentile by the time yeah. they're thirteen you can recommend bariatric surgery.
0: Oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can only it's tell pure you. pure insanity, isn't it? What is wrong with these
1: people? What are, what are we doing? What are we doing to our children? What are we doing?
0: What are we doing? You, you know, with, with, with education, when people evaluate education in America, they say, well, how are the math scores going? And how are the English comprehension scores going? They sort of give teachers report cards. Mm -hmm. Now, that may be a little bit unfair because it isn't only on the teachers to educate our youth. But there's a little bit of logic in saying, how are our schools doing? Let's base it on these tests. Let's see how the kids are doing. Why doesn't anyone ever give the medical profession a report card? We're the fattest, sickest population ever to walk planet Earth. I say they're not doing a very good job. Right. You know, how could people revere their doctors and hospitals so much? They're obviously not doing a very good job. You know,
1: now I'll say as a medical professional, there's certainly times I am all for going to the hospital. If I have a perforated ulcer.
0: hmm
1: take me in. Spinal meningitis, take me in. I'm having a stroke right now, take me in. Right? I have an open fracture, bones poking out through my thigh, heck yeah, take me. Right? Right. But for chronic illness, um, not so much. We we are missing some critical, fundamental information.
0: We have great surgeons in this country and if you get beat up in a car accident, you want to go to the hospital and have those great surgeons fix you. In America, we're good. We're good. good. But if you're eating your way into disease and you don't realize that you're eating your way into disease and you go to so many doctors who haven't learned the first thing about nutrition, who then tell you, well, try to eat healthy, uh, it's not going to work. Now, thankfully, there is a whole movement, which you are part of, called the uh, the plant there's the plantrition project and there's the college american college of lifestyle medicine mm-hmm. and now we have some thousands of really good doctors and health professionals out there who are who are spreading the truth but mm-hmm. it's there's still a, a small minority true sure. tell yeah. us about the college of lifestyle medicine
1: so the american college of lifestyle medicine you know, is a great, great—I'll call it an institution, for lack of a better way to put it—that uh, is focused on encouraging medical professionals, either before they get licensure or and after, right, to adopt six basic principles of human health, right? They call them the six pillars. I'll see if I can remember all six. I usually forget one, and it's never the same one that I forget. Nutrition, because it's critical for human health. What we eat is, what do we say, 80% of how our health picture plays out. Sleep, also super important. can't go more than, oh, four or five days without some sleep, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Physical activity, very important. Stress management is another one. Avoiding toxic substances is another one. And the last one is um, healthy interpersonal relationships. Those are six facets okay. of
0: health. You got all six. I that did. Amazing
1: this time. Amazing. Yes. So we focus on promoting that message and all the intricacies of that message. So within nutrition, let's say, because that's kind of my wheelhouse where I sit teaching people all the aspects of eating healthy food, right? Definitely, they promote the plant-forward diet. It, I mean, for, for the purposes of ACLM, American College of Lifestyle Medicine, they don't say 100% whole food, plant-based, all or nothing. You know, that's the standard. They do recommend, though, at least 80% plant-based.
0: And, and most of the doctors themselves would be... A hundred percent, wouldn't they? A lot of them are. Yeah. So when 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 the advice is coming from a doctor who herself or himself knows how to eat the proper human diet, a diet exclusively of plants, low in fat, um, they're gonna they're gonna work with the patient and maybe feel that they have to. Uh, be a, a little bit of a gradual list yes. to get the patient on board, but they're going to be working towards a hundred percent plant exclusive diet most of the time. Right. Or certainly,
1: certainly not
0: discouraging of certainly,
1: right. not. certainly accepting of supportive of absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So now,
0: that's what. It's about. Yeah. Yeah. Now tell us about the history of the uh, plant-based nutrition movement that you are the president of. Okay. We'll go at
1: PBNM for short. And that's uh, dot P- .org, right? Dot .org, pbnm.org. PBNM
0: PBNM.org. Yes.
1: So it was started by a an interventional in, interventional cardiologist. His name is dr stephen lohm he is currently located i believe in california at the yeah. time he started this organization he was here in the chicago area
0: right and let me interrupt to say dr lohm does some very good videos he's a very yes. good speaker you can yes, find yeah. him on youtube
1: yeah true 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 and most recently um i think it was within the last year he had the experience of is a well let me tell you a little bit about the guy He came from a family of very heavyweight people. He went into cardiology like most medical professionals do because we want to make a difference. We want to help people feel better. And at the same time, he was a bit heavy himself. So he went into cardiology and started practicing medicine. He got his board certification, his double board certification, and um, he wanted to help people feel better. He started using the standard and recommended methods. By the american heart association and cardiology association and all the things and you know tools he had available to himself uh, as a cardiologist and he realized that doing everything that he could along the textbook lines of how to do it was not making a difference his patients were still coming in they were still sick they were still getting more and more medications every time still having more cardiac events more heart attacks more strokes all of that stuff was still happening and he got frustrated right he decided to start the same care plan for himself and he added running marathons and even with that his so his own numbers and what we call biometrics were not changing he was not improving not getting any better so he realized that the usual plan for healing people with heart disease was not really a plan to heal anyone it was just a plan to keep people busy i guess <laughs> you know, busy and distracted so he started hunting around looking for an answer to this conundrum and he happened upon whole food plant-based eating and he took that on wholeheartedly and lost a bunch of weight and still i think continue to run marathons and um just like turned his turned his whole health picture around right with that he went back to his um, colleagues in cardiology and started talking up what happened, what he found out, his personal experiments on his own life. And, you know, let's start teaching our patients about this. And as, as he told me the story they did and his patients um, within their medical practice started having fewer cardiac events, fewer strokes, fewer medications, fewer everything, right? All their numbers dropping beautifully, lower heart, um, lower, lower blood pressure scores, all, all the stuff, you know, these are the things that make medical professionals very happy. Right? Yes. Well, they're doing really well. They're doing all this stuff. Their patients are getting better. And one day, somebody in their practice got a call from the chief medical officer of their medical um, system and was invited to come to the chief guy's office for a conversation. So, as I understand it, it was not Dr. Lohm who had this experience himself, but he said that his colleague, uh, went to the chief medical officer's office thinking he's going to get kudos and attaboys and yay, you're you're doing it. He goes into the office and the chief medical officer says, so I notice your numbers are changing in your population. You know, we're not, your patients aren't coming in for cardiac casts. They're not having strokes. They're not having heart attacks. They're not, uh, you know, increasing their statins or any of that. Uh, so what's going on? And this cardiologist said, yeah, we're doing great business. Oh, my God, we're knocking out of the park. We're taking care of our people. They're not having heart attacks. They're not having strokes. They're not having any of that. Diabetes is going down. All of it. It's amazing. And the chief medical officer said, um, no, it's not amazing. It's, I'm sorry. It's not what? It's not amazing. It's not it's not good. amazing. You have a problem. We hired you to make money for this clinic, this cardiac center. You are not pulling your weight. We have bills to pay. We have people to pay. We've got overhead. And if you can't bring in the amount of money that we expect you to bring in, in procedures and patient visits and all that, you're going to have to go find another job because we can't keep you.
0: That is a, a, a highly enlightening story.
1: Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So. Doctor Lone, with that bit of information, created plant-based nutrition movement as a way to continue to get the message out to people and manage his professional life. <laughs>
0: you know, basically. Now, now did the baby. doctors change their practice in order to uh, accommodate their overlords there and start, um, you know, giving out sausages or whatever? I. They had to,
1: to a point. You know, there's a certain amount of cognitive dissonance there. You have to like square that. And, you know, cardiologists have huge, a lot of them, huge student debt, loans they have to pay. Children they have to feed of their own, their own mortgages and stuff. So they adjusted their practice, I think, a little bit. And then they found a way to manage it. So for Dr. Lung, he created this nonprofit and he continued to share the message through the nonprofit yeah. and at work, you know, he gave people advice. However, I, I never saw him in private practice, so I don't know what kind of advice he would give. But his main avenue for delivering the plant based whole food message was through the nonprofit. And he would do things yeah. like immersions and five K's and give talks to people, which was super valuable. Yeah. Ultimately, after about a year of him leading the nonprofit, it, I think it just became too cumbersome and he stepped away and now is practicing you know still practicing great medicine in california yeah. but he left the so, nonprofit for us to you know and we continue the work you know and actually actually expand the work
0: so that's the dilemma the health industry is ultimately a big business and yes. and ill health is good for business so the sicker the population is the more money that doctors and drug companies make. Now, I have tried not to be cynical about this, although the story you have just told is a powerful story, and it's hard not to be cynical when you hear it. But I have tried to believe that most doctors and most health practitioners do not want their patients to be unhealthy. They are there to try to help their patients, and that they're good and decent people, who are trying to do their best by their patients and they're not just trying mm-hmm. to generate business to build up their you know, cardiology practice or something. But this is a story where a hospital, and there are some hospitals out there who have been accused of terrible practices, where a hospital is concerned about the bottom line and the bottom line increases... When, when there are more procedures and more and, and worse health. Um, and that's, you know, if there, there are there are some advantages to a um, uh, a profit-based health system, and there are some advantages to a nonprofit government-based health system, and there are disadvantages either way. But it gets to the point of lunacy. When the hospital actually wants you to be sick, that that is just, you know, insupportable. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I
1: mean, back to your whole thing about the food that you could eat when you're there, right? It ought to be It ought to be illegal for someone to sit after a hernia surgery or after, in my husband's case, a heart attack. Yeah. And the first thing they're offered is a bacon and cheese omelet. Yeah. That ought to be illegal. Yeah, but that is where our health. I I, do, I decline to call it a healthcare system. Our yeah. medical industry is constructed.
0: Yeah. Now, Mayor Mayor Adams is trying to do some good work in New York to improve hospital food, isn't he? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I've, I've heard, heard a little bit about that. Dr.
0: McCracken, it. I think, in New York. <laughs>
1: Mcmacken, maybe.
0: Mcmacken. Ma- how you How does she pronounce it? Uh,
1: Mcmacken, I believe. McMacken. I don't know. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: But yeah, they're, they're trying to change that. There's it's, it's unfathomable. You know, we should, it doesn't even seem like it should be a question when you know that let's say for instance, all processed meat was declared carcinogenic in 2015. Why is that still available in hospitals?
0: Yeah. You know, it's hard to understand. You know, Either they're just, <clears throat> excuse me, either they're just concerned about their profits or they are science deniers. There, there is no science that having a ham sandwich is good for you, but that was the first thing I was offered after my surgery. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on, on what do they base their recommendations? Clearly not on science. No. And, uh, you know, I, I feel as, as an advocate for the low fat, whole food, vegan diet i feel like i'm just making the case for science you know it's just pure science it shouldn't be political it shouldn't be even controversial it's just pure science right. there is no science that says that sausage is good for you right. or that cheese is good for you you, but, know? you know
1: there is the the belief it's okay so you know you can find science that says anything now Is it legitimate? Was it paid for by the beef and dairy producers of Association of America? You got, you know, but you can find numbers that say just about anything. I was just watching something this morning where they were talking about how cholesterol is is so important for all the cells in the body. Well, yeah, it is. (laughs) But they didn't say that the body is enough of its own. You don't need to (laughs) ask any. That's you know, but right. it, made it, sound, it made it sound like, oh, my gosh, I better go out and get some right now. Can I get it in a pill? I need extra, you know.
0: You know, what What I feel is that there's no legitimate science on the other side of the debate. There's just obfuscation. You know, if you do a, a study of 10,000 people, that's one of those self-reporting studies. Mm-hmm. People report what they ate. And then you can tease out anything you want from that data. Yeah. You can you know, you could say, oh, it's the people who had the more carbohydrates who gained more weight. Well, maybe because they were drinking soda and having unhealthy yes. foods that are high in carbohydrate, but you'll never do a legitimate scientific study that finds anything wrong with fruits and vegetables. Right. You'll never do a legitimate scientific study that finds any benefit to meat and dairy. Um, and so, you know, what they do is these confusing self-reporting studies of vast populations, and then they try to tease out some, uh, some misleading data from it. And then they come up with misleading recommendations. Let them do a study. Take the Esselstyn diet. You know, Esselstyn reversed heart disease and proved it with studies that were, are just remarkable with the results of how many people with severe heart disease reversed it. Nobody's done a study like that with sausages or with cheddar <laughs> cheese. Imagine, imagine if somebody proposed to the hospital, hey, I think sausages really help reverse heart disease, so you want to fund this study I'm going to do? I, they'd be laughed at. It's like, you know trying to f- fund uh, going to the moon with toothpicks you know right. it's right. nobody's going to build a rocket out of toothpicks so there is no legitimate science on their side in my opinion there's right. just confusing data that they use to make arguments right um and, and lots, of, lots know, and lots of marketing lots and lots right of marketing. and and let me let me issue a challenge right here if there's somebody out there some scientist who thinks that eating meat is healthy, do a study, take half the people on the Esselstyn low-fat whole foods diet and put half the other half on whatever diet you believe in. Good luck to you. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to take me up on that, Meryl. (laughs) They're not going to do it because they can't top the diet of whole foods, low-fat, no oil. They can't top it. They know they can't top it. And so all they could do is make arguments with misleading studies. It's, yeah. it's nonsense. You know, we just need to call their bluff. They, they have no case. Meryl Fury, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. People, people can find you on your podcast, which uh, you're the co-host of the Growing a Healthy Child podcast on YouTube. Yes. And people should go to pbnm.org. And, mm-hmm. and, and please, on your anniversary, um, tell your husband that I say, listen to your wife.
1: <laughs> I'll sure, tell him.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: It's Let's hope it works.
0: You, <laughs> uh, thank you, Merrill. You're welcome. Good speaking with you. Yeah,
1: likewise. Have a great day.
0: You too. This has been the Glenn Mercer Show, where everyone listening turns vegan regains their health, and annoys their friends and relatives. Find us on YouTube at The Glenn Mercer Show and across all your major podcast platforms. Don't forget to subscribe.